this is Ozda Matar, and I'm your host for Season 3 of the International Voices at Queen's Podcast. This episode is recorded on the traditional lands of Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples, and it features guests with international experiences. studio, I have Natalia Santos. Thank you for having me. Natalia, you've recently completed your doctoral degree in the Department of Geography and Planning, right? Yes, you're right. I finished my PhD in April. What was your topic? I was interested in exploring the spatial politics of art and kind of the geographies that are created and recreated or challenged through the creation, circulation and display of art. I looked at Chilean political textiles uh, inspired by arpilleras, which is a tradition that comes from the Chilean uh, dictatorship. Oh, wow. Thanks. I understand that your research concerns the spatial politics of arts. Mm -hmm. Your research is about the Chilean context. You come from Puerto Rico and you live in Canada. You have a totally transnational or transcultural experience. Can you talk a little about that experience? Yes, yeah, it's it's something I was thinking about it a few years ago when I was going to... I, I, I was in Canada, I went to Puerto Rico for the holidays, and then I went to Chile in that a very short period of time. And it felt like a very trans-American experience, right? I went from North to you know Central or the Caribbean and then to South uh, America, and it, it, it felt like... You know, thinking through those spaces, right, of the north and and south, and uh, yeah, for me, it's been. I, I think coming from the Caribbean, uh, being from Puerto Rico, makes it by definition that you have sort of a transnational experience. So in a way, it's very normal for me to be conducting this type of uh, research. You know, the Caribbean has big populations that live outside of the country, so it's not very uncommon to go uh, out of our country. Uh, countries in the Caribbean to study, especially in the global north, in Canada, US, Europe. So so in that sense, I kind of fit in right in with the Puerto Rican experience. And then I kind of expanded that uh, a little bit more with my PhD in Chile. But yeah, it was certainly it, it kind of enriches the and makes it also a little bit more challenging the, the PhD experience by kind of having to navigate a, a few contexts at, at the same time. But Exactly. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with the terms transnational or transcultural. Do you want to say a few words about those terms? I think Canada and the Caribbean are places where multiple cultures meet. And so even within a country and within a region, you can experience a multicultural or a transnational or a transcultural experience. And for me, transcultural and transnational has to do with language. So I'm my first language uh, is Spanish. The first language spoken in, in Chile, where I conduct research, is also Spanish. But I have to do a lot of translation, both cultural and linguistic, in terms of putting that into my PhD and making it, you know, legible within uh, North American Anglo Academy. So that's part of the transnational experience. I also think is something that's very transnational, is very diasporic, I think, is the experience of, you know, living 
living here, and I think this happens to to a lot of international students living here in Canada, but always having your thoughts, your worries, your connections still back home. My case is Puerto Rico. So even though I'm physically in Canada, I'm, you know, my, my mind and, you know, my phone calls are always located elsewhere. And I think that is, for me, kind of a big part of what the transcultural and transnational experience of the as an international student is. I totally understand what you mean when you say we are physically here, but mentally, emotionally, we're both here in Kingston in Canada, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you in your case, Puerto Rico or Chile mm-hmm. through your research, in my case, in Turkey, because that's my home country. And we can't help but think about events happening there, like the recent earthquake in my own country. When I hear the word Chile, this is a context I know little about, and you're an expert in one aspect that is coming from that context. I can't help but think of the massive... Sí, estallido social. Yeah, yeah, so let me just repeat that part. <laughs> the estadio social, uh-huh. or the social outburst. Mm-hmm. Were you there to observe these events? Yes, um, I. So the estallido uh, kind of uh, erupted, if you want to call it that, uh, in October of 2019, and uh, I went there a few months after in early 2020. Got interrupted by the pandemic, and perhaps we can talk about that. But yeah, when I got there, there were still quite active mobilization processes. If, if I may add to that too, I think that also shaped the transnational or it made the transnational aspect of my research very visceral and obvious because in the context of traveling in the midst of social upheaval uh, and later on a pandemic, it kind of makes, you know, your citizenship or, or visa status very clear. It makes uh, you worries about border crossing and, you know, health insurance and where that's located very obvious. And I think having done my research in those two contexts, both the estallido social and the and the pandemic kind of made my transnational research viscerally palpable, right? In the sense like borders became a more, yeah. More visible. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering, so you were writing your research and also observing as a foreigner in these protests or demonstrations. I wonder, and you, you just completed your dissertation. How did you manage staying focused when things were happening, like major events? Yeah. It's extremely challenging because on the one hand, so I didn't plan my my research and uh, defended my proposal before the social upheaval began and you know, not necessarily thinking that that was the landscape that I was going, going to encounter, obviously. And definitely the, the researcher in me had a different perspective than, say, you know, a person that stands in solidarity with the Chilean people. And, you know, having to negotiate that and being very cautious of how me coming in as a researcher could, you know, intervene in certain things, like where I could go and where I couldn't to avoid, you know, causing trouble to people that are literally putting their lives on the line, right? That was one aspect of that and and that requires an ethical commitment to your research but also an ethical commitment to the people that you are engaging with so in that sense the way I managed to keep some focus or at least some kind of respect toward what was happening I tried anyways I don't I don't know if I accomplished it but was really 
you know, taking into consideration the safety, but also the priorities of the people that I was, um, you know, had the, the luxury and the, and the super privilege of, of working with. And then in terms of the pandemic, I would say that was a serious challenge. I think not just for me, but for everyone. It was hard to stay motivated when uh, you don't really know what's happening, when you cannot see family for so long. And I was lucky enough to, to have a supportive partner and supportive thesis advisor and friends. But I'm not going to say that it was easy. It was certainly uh, challenging and there were periods in which, you know, you had to step back, take a moment, breathe in and out, and mm-hmm. then come back to it. Also, when you're thinking about the safety of, of your loved ones, of your friends, of your colleagues, that's that's mm-hmm. also hard. I'm almost sure that it must have affected the timeline of your research. What was it like? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I had it, I had to leave Chile after the pandemic was declared. The government of Canada was about to close borders for non-citizens or residents. And at that point, I wasn't a Canadian resident. And, but my health insurance is here, right? So I really, I think health insurance made it very obvious of where I needed to go to. So I, you know, I had to get in the first flight to Toronto, try to come back as, as quickly as I was able to. And that obviously delayed a lot of the interviews also shifted some of the approach because I think it was very important uh, even though I had scheduled interviews and I wasn't gonna necessarily burden potential participants that wanted to talk to me um, in a moment that they were encountering a lot of personal and societal community challenges so that had me shifting a little bit the approach but and definitely delayed it I think coming back to Canada settling back in after kind of shifting from being in the field work but also not going to the office not teaching at the university. I think the teaching component of our PhDs here at Queen's also became something that perhaps delayed the time of completion for at least me because we were all trying to figure out how to teach online in some cases for the first time. So definitely delayed my, my PhD. I ended up finishing in six. I thought I would finish in five, but then many, many things happened that uh, delayed that and, and it's okay. It was too much to ask to finish before then. So I think if you have the possibility and you don't you know have to graduate and you're encountering all of these hurdles it's also okay to take a bit longer so impressive that you've completed your dissertation you've taught like you you were teaching at queens at the same time and we had two major events mm-hmm. that happened when you were writing your thesis mm-hmm. thank you i'd like to ask you so what advice would you have for our listeners international students at queens who might be trying to balance their engagement with the world mm-hmm. or home countries mm-hmm. and their academic work at Queens. I guess I'm wondering if there were times you did certain things and now wish you didn't do those or the opposite. You didn't do certain things, mm-hmm. but you wish you did. I'm, I'm always kind of uh, cautious of giving advice, I guess, because, you know, what works for me maybe doesn't work for other people. But it's such a good question. And, and maybe I'll start with another anecdote of the times at Queens and how the transnational experience affected my PhD. So when I started my doctorate degree, it's 2017, the fall of 2017. And in my country, we had a massive hurricane, right? That was, you know, quite devastating, awful. 
And it was extremely hard. You know, my entire family was there, you know, not being able to to even know if they were okay for, for weeks was extremely scary. And it's very weird when you your brain, your emotion, your entire like psyche is connected to what's happening at home. But then you go to the shopping center and like nobody's even aware of what's happening, right? Like nobody's, th- this is the one thing in your mind. But for other people, like they're going about their day. So that's, you know, I'm certain people uh, have experienced this with other crises taking place in their countries. And so that is challenging. And I think the only way that I would, what I would recommend to confront these things and the, the pandemic also was a challenge for a lot of people and what was happening in relation to the pandemic in other countries is honestly to be kind to yourself in those moments. It's, it's hard. You're mourning, you're struggling, you're worried. And it's sometimes hard to just like keep on moving on, you know? And I think we need to just be like, it's okay that I cannot join this activity at my department because I'm, I'm worried, you know? Mm-hmm. And also reach out to other people and explain what's happening. I think, you know, I received a lot of generosity when people learned that I was from Puerto Rico and what was happening there. And people reach out to me, you know, how, how is everything? Do you need anything? Let us know. And I think that's it's easy to say because we're all vulnerable and we don't want to necessarily expose that side of ourselves. But I think it's important to remain gentle to yourself because I think the PhD can make you hypercritical about everything. You're writing, you're research, you're speaking skills, everything, you know, the time of completion, your relationships with colleagues and so on. And sometimes you just need to step back and be a little bit kinder to yourself because it it can be hard. You mentioned uh, the word care, Mm -hmm. which reminds me our theme for the season, which is well-being. Good, great. Yeah, I mean, glad that that's a theme of the season because I think it's so important, especially international students uh, really need to practice self-care. We need to make sure we do. Hello, greetings. My name is Arunima Khanna, and I'm a psychologist at Student Wellness Services. I'm also a former international student. I graduated with my PhD from Queen's. My role at Queen's is to provide counseling and therapy to racialized and international students and training workshops on multicultural competencies, cultural humility, and basically issues relating to diversity, equity, and anti-racism. Being at university can be both exciting and challenging. As you know, it's a time of great opportunity and many experiences, but it can also be a time for stress especially for international students who are away from their usual support networks. Having said that, I want to say that overall, most students do have a productive and satisfying student life, but we also know that there are times when students can feel stressed, lonely, anxious, or sad, and this can present itself in different ways for different people. Please know that some of these feelings are very natural in response to stress and being away from familiar places and supports. These feelings generally resolve within a short amount of time time, but sometimes they stay around and when this happens, it can affect our well-being and work. So what do I want to say to you? I want you to know that looking after your well-being is crucial and critical to making your university experience at Queen's a positive and productive one. We want you to thrive. Please know that at Student Wellness Services, we're committed to the mental health and well-being of all our students. We want you to know that there are a range of support services available to you should you need them. Our Services are free and confidential. They include medical services of doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, health promotion services for basic good health, 
you know, talking about sleep, nutrition and things like that. Accessibility services for those of you who need accommodations based on a disability, whether it's temporary or an ongoing one. And then finally, we house the counseling and mental health services, which is where I work. You can book an appointment with the mental health services by calling or dropping by to student wellness services. If you can name a specific unit or person or group within Queens or in Kingston that has been very helpful. I would say that I really took advantage of the ARC, just the exercise facilities at Queens are great. I went swimming a lot when I was in the biggest, in the most stressful parts of my degree. So do take advantage of the fact you have access wow. to those things. I don't want to say that there were a lot of uh, formal networks for me or where I felt that I could easily fit in. So in my case, it was really about creating those networks with friends and colleagues that are there they're not competing with you they're not they're not just there for the network they're there because they want to get through this together and get through this as well as they can so I think in my case it was I would say a little bit more informal the friendships and the care network that I made as well as my family back home I'm on the phone all day long with my sisters in Puerto Rico so a lot of people I think can identify like how like our siblings or our friends back home can be like critical that was certainly my case Okay, thank you very much. That's the end of our conversation. Thank you. I appreciate your opening about these inner family and world issues and also things you did to take care of yourself. I really appreciate that. Thank you for inviting me. This podcast aims to support members of the university community with intercultural realities. It also serves as a resource for those who seek to better understand the experiences of individuals with intercultural and multilingual realities. This episode is produced by Queen's University International Center and Student Academic Success Services. The music for our podcast series was created by Kingston musician and Santur performer Sadaf Amini. I'd like to thank her for sharing her unique tunes with us. You can find out about her music on her website www.sadafamini.ca. Thank you to the CFRC team for their support. My mentors and thinking partners in this project were Lydia Skustad and Alyssa Forstner. I appreciate their guidance. I'd like to close this episode by acknowledging that as an international doctoral candidate in Queen's Cultural Studies program, I'm grateful to be able to live, learn, and play on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabeg peoples. Thank you for listening.